Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the hour of truth, Richard Lawrence and Christy Blaze. A very warm welcome to all our regular listeners and those who are new to Aetherius Radio Live, which is brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio on the third Tuesday of every month. Discover the cosmic message for this age revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. Today, your host, Richard Lawrence, will be joined by Mark Bennett, a international director here in London who also co-authored two books with Richard which were God's Guides and Guardian Angels and Prayer Energy. Now this show is entitled an anti-war special which in view of current world conditions is much needed so without further ado I hand you over to Richard and Mark. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you very much. And welcome, everybody, to our anti-war special. And I'm absolutely delighted that we'll be joined in a moment by my very good friend, Mark Bennett, uh, who's done a lot of research in this for several years. Because what we want to present to you is the Aetherius Society's position. In other words, Dr. George King's position on this, and also that of the cosmic masters who spoke through him. How should we react? How should we respond? What was their guidance? What was their teaching? And very shortly I'll be introducing Mark to throw some light on that from the research he's done. Before I do though, I'd just like to make the point, I I doubt there are many people in the world who would actually say they're pro-war. There may be a few who are, but they won't, most of them won't admit it. But on the whole, soldiers, um, war fighters of various kinds in the various military, uh, air forces, naval forces, and so on, none of them pretty much would say they're pro-war. They'd all say they're anti-war, and they're doing what they're doing to save lives and help bring an end to war. We, we all remember the war to end all wars, so-called, the First World War, and they even uh, described it as so they still describe it as such, which is quite extraordinary, really. We had Remembrance Sunday over here in Britain very recently, and they were still talking about the war to end all wars, which it clearly did not do. And there's a very good reason for that. Um, Now, what I would like to say is, first of all, that we are targeting, as as we go to air right now, uh, a, a meeting, a gathering, which is taking place right now in Bali in Indonesia of the 20 richest nations in the world. Um, it's called the G20. Um, there we have the President of America, the Prime Minister of Britain, the Foreign Minister of Russia, the President of China, many others there. And we're targeting it with a mission we called Operation Space Power 2, uh, which is going to pr- be relevant to this as we proceed into this uh, very interesting look at, from an anti-war perspective. What we really actually mean by that, because it's a question not of whether you are you, you're kind of like the idea of war, because I, I doubt many people do. It's what we should do to stop it, really, is what we're looking at here. And, of course, one easy way not to have war is if nobody took part in them. But the, the planet's got a little way to go for that. So we're targeting this um, for three re- well, mainly for world peace in Ukraine and also for global starvation, which is at an unprecedented level, according to the UN. But the other thing that we did um, specifically request um, cosmic intelligence is to help us with. We have a way of doing this, uh, which was given to us by arrangement with them in his lifetime, made by Dr. George King, so we can carry this into the future, perform this mission, Operation Space Power 2, and send thousands of hours uh, of prayer energy, hours, man or woman, hours of prayer energy equivalent, out in a very short space of time and we're sending for this particular purpose 3,000 a day and already on the first day there were meetings between the president of China and the president of America uh, which they announced 
they had agreed. I know, I know we know what the politicians' words are and how much we could bank them. But they did announce their agreement that there will be no use of nuclear weapons. And that was the third thing we asked for specifically when we made this arrangement. Now, coming from the President of America and the President of China, it is very likely... Uh, most pundits believe to have an effect on Russia, just even if it's only fear uh, that, um, you know, if they're not going to get the backing of China either, they don't expect the backing of America, that might make them less likely to use nuclear weaponry, which has been threatened, and it's also denied that it's been threatened. So that's just one thing that's going on. Um, and by the way, it does work. Uh, Operation Space Power 2. We found a couple of weeks ago, and there's a little video on my website. I won't go into it all now, but as a result of some runs, uh, there was a release of grain which had been blockaded from Ukraine to help the, the starving. And also, after two years, there was an unexpected surprise peace in the Ethiopian civil war, which uh, again made the food uh, access easier and deliveries easier. So it does work. That was within 24 hours of us doing an Operation Space Power 2 operation arranged in the way I've described. So I thought I'd throw those things in. But what we want to look at really here is our position on anti-war. And before I bring Mark in and his research in, I'd just like to say that when writing the biography of Dr. George King, the king who came to Earth, I looked carefully at Dr. King's position on this because he was a pacifist uh, and, and remained a pacifist, although that word means different things to different people. And we'll be elaborating on that, Mark, and I, as we go. But he didn't take part. He was a conscientious objector in the Second World War. He had um, a very out, uh, prominent experience at a place called Great Torrington in, in Devon, in Great Britain, uh, at the beginning of the war. Now, this is before, well before, um, a long time before he was contacted by intelligences from other planets. This was probably, in, well, openly contacted, the so-called command in 1954. This was in 1939 when he had this experience and he went to, the, to pray for world peace. And that's a key point. He went to, it, because this is part of being anti-war, what you do about it, as we'll go into. And he was given certain advice which I would take to be in this experience in this contact with a higher being uh, which I would judge affected his decision to be a conscientious objector I think there are several reasons why he was but one of them was certainly because he didn't believe that wars on earth fought without karmic permission should be entered into by anybody um, and this was absolutely crucial to him. And he describes it in a most telling way. Uh, he says that he described this much later in 1959. He said, a part of me wanted to join in the adventure. I was afraid of nothing in those days. Maybe it was because I hadn't the common sense to know what fear was. But a part of me said, thou shalt not kill. This is against the law. So I let that part win. And that, I think, is a, a very revealing insight into the psychology of Dr. King uh, because he wasn't a person who, by nature, would have really wanted, in some ways, to be a pacifist. He was uh, a fearless person who entered in, even in the Second World War, he went into the very dangerous um, bomb bombing of London, the so-called Blitz, as a fire, volunteer fire officer, he wasn't feared. If anything, his nature would have taken him to, to, to the adventure of, of combat. But the other part, he let that part win. And he was a believer that you, you shouldn't be a pacifist out of fear. That's not all laziness. Um, or just dodging out and opting out and copying out. No, not at all. Quite the opposite. You should be someone who's perfectly capable and willing to enter, but you choose not to. And here's the key point, and you do something else. And he did. It's not just being a pacifist and then doing nothing. He acted. He took part. And, of course, one thing he was doing, even in those days, was praying for world peace. 
and no doubt in the most potent of manners. So let me now at this point bring in to this uh, Mark Bennett. Um, and Mark, uh, you've done a lot of research. And first of all, welcome to Ethereus Radio Live. Thank you, Richard. It's great to be here. Good to have you. And actually, Mark's very often with me when I'm doing these uh, with Chrissy sometimes, so he's a, a real part of the, as it were, Theorist Radio Live family. And Mark, you've done a lot of research, and I know one of the things that you've looked into is Dr. King's statements about war and about not fighting. What, what can you share with us? Yeah, well, there's a, a, a huge amount of material on this subject, so it's a question really of just sifting through to find the, the absolute best bit. And here's, um, I mean, I think you've put us pretty much in the picture of the, the overview. So here's something which I remember hearing, actually, many, I think as a teenager even, when I first listened to this lecture, and it really uh, disturbed me. I, I found this very difficult to take, actually. And that's a lecture on the first freedom given in 1961, when Dr. King says, it's just as bad for you to kill in wartime as it is to go out there and murder the first person you see. Mm. So that really, absolutely, I mean, there's no holding back at all in mm. that statement. Uh, and he sort of elaborates, as it were, on this in uh, an address called Thou Shalt Not Kill, um, where he says, uh, there's one phrase that crops up and it's simple. It's thou shalt not kill. And some of us believe that this thou shalt not kill means thou shalt not kill even if attacked. This is a very, very difficult thing. This can be the measure of a person's real, true belief in a divine presence. It's possibly more difficult for a man than it is for a woman, but it can be the measure of your faith in this. So there he yes. makes it clear, even if attacked. So there's no excuses given. Um, and another, another of his um, statements that I say this didn't so much disturb me as I found it very helpful in that it was extremely um, clarifying and succinct. Uh, in a lecture about um, the Gotha conflict in 1966, he says, I don't think any war on earth is the answer to any question. But nevertheless, when it comes to a cosmic conflict like this, there may be a time, there may be a time when, if the lords of karma give permission, it may be right to fight in this way for one's existence. But only if the lords of karma give permission. So that excludes all wars that are commonly known about, at least, on Earth. Um, and certainly all wars that are taking place at the moment. And I think it's an interesting choice of words when he says, I don't think that any war on Earth is the answer to any question. So his, his condemnation of war is rather than being mor moralistic or ethical, is in this instance at least, is a practical one. It's not just that war is wrong, it's that war is not the answer. Yes, not the answer, absolutely. And of course, it does bring up so many questions, as you rightly say, because there's one thing that I do know from knowing him, that he, he was uh, a believer in, in, in America in having people being allowed to be armed. And yep. well, I've, got some, I've got some great, okay, well, uh, got a great you, quote about do, that. Yeah. Just before you do. And, sure. and that, you know, that being armed, they had every right to use those arms under certain conditions. I mean, one of the conditions he spoke about would be somebody uh, trying to stop the running of the spiritual energy radiator, which I mentioned to you, to, to, to listeners, a moment ago in the context of Operation Space Power 2, where energy, prayer energy, is being put through an apparatus called a spiritual energy radiator, on the basis that, you know, more people would, would die than by stopping the spiritual energy radiator than by preventing a person, uh, maybe an armed person, from stopping that happening. Now, of course, ideally, you'd stop 
that person without killing them. But in certain conditions, you can see, one can see extreme conditions, uh, you know, where, say, some murderer was going to kill some children, and you were, you, perhaps you were a police marksman, and you were, it was in a school, and you, you, had to, you had the permission and the, you know, authority to fire to stop them killing these children. If you didn't, you would be virtually responsible for killing the children. And so these are the sort of exceptions that do crop up. What say you to that, Mark? Uh, the, uh, well, there's a, a fascinating question and answer uh, session uh, from 1972, uh, where a questioner uh, kind of put his neck on the line a bit and asked a very precise question, and that was, we are told that man must not fight and kill his brothers. Jesus said that if someone hits you on the right cheek, offer him the left. At the same time, we are told that man must be able to protect himself. How does an intelligence decide when to protect himself and when to offer the other cheek? In times of personal attack, for example, a physical attack, how can one protect oneself without killing the attacker? As can be seen, what applies to an individual applies to a nation. So I'd appreciate if this question is fully answered. Mm -hmm. And um, then the master gives this absolutely extraordinary answer, which sounds... It, it, well, it's, it's so typical of him because it sounds kind of absurdly far out and yet you think about it and you think, well, of course, that is the only logical answer. Um, but we're not really used to hearing logical answers on Earth, so that's why it seems so strange and so extreme. So this is what he says. Of course, you know, there's many answers to this. When I was 20 and faced with going into the army, although I wanted to go in, Let's not kid ourselves at all, and I don't want to try and kid you. I was the kind of guy who could stand up and fight, and I did, and I was pretty good. I would have said, thou shalt not kill, and stick to it. So now I've got to say, well, there are times, if you are important enough, when you may have to defend yourself with whatever weapons may be available. So the true answer to this question is this. You should be psychic enough to weigh the other man up. And if you discover he is more important to the world as a whole, more important than you, then let him kill you. But if you are more important than him, kill him if you have to. You're not that advanced very well, and very few people are, because to do that you would have to read the Akashic Records, and you'd have to be able to deduce his exact position in the Akashic Records and the reactions from that position. And you'd have to be a master in order to be able to do this. Very well. Let me put it, bring it down to earth, if I can. If you are engaged on a highly important task, not to do with your business or a rise or defending someone for murder or something like this, or, you know, basic things like that, but if you're engaged in a very important task and you're a key person in that task, I think that you, if you do defend yourself, if you're attacked, you're not wrong. Now, there are ways and means of defending yourself. I mean, if you are versed in unarmed combat, you needn't necessarily kill or even injure your adversary. If you're not versed in unarmed combat, if you are a key person in some great move of a spiritual nature, and that's the only great move that counts on earth, by the way, then I think you do have some innate protection. But nevertheless, I don't think you're wrong in defending yourself. But if you're not so engaged, you are wrong if you take the life of any other individual. And I'm afraid that's the only way I can answer it from my point of view at the moment. In other words, you see, it's the motive that counts. If anybody attacked me, I would defend myself only because I haven't finished my mission. So if you do want to attack me, please, friends, I strongly advise you, wait till I've finished my mission and then have a go. And in that way, you could put me to the test. So, you know, you can see whether I'm a hypocrite or not. But because I haven't finished my mission, because I have an idea of what my mission is yet to be, I would defend myself, not for my sake, uh, but for the sake of humanity. And you too could be key personnel 
and then he can, talks a little bit about Operation Carmelite, and he ends with the, these words, the answer is not as simple to me as it was when I was 20. Very good, very good, because he did change, I think, from all that I can gather over the years. That's absolutely brilliant, it's very insightful, it's relating, of course, to two people, one person tackling another person and whether that person should defend themselves in that attack. Brilliant answer. Simple. If they're more advanced than you, if they've got a greater mission than you, let them kill you. If you have to, don't kill them. Um, And of course, there's so many nuances. I mean, the unarmed combat may not even come into play if the person is armed with a revolver or whatever. But, of course, then there's the other situation, which is defending other people, as I mentioned, those children, if you're a police marksman. And they're actually... It's a bit like the same thing applies to lying. You should always tell the truth. But there are occasions when lying um, will do far more good and actually be closer to a greater truth. I think Swami Sivananda made that point. And I'll give an example of that. St. Peter, who did deny Jesus which was on an untruth, uh, as he was ordered to do when the cock crowed three times. But as a result of that, he remained and continued his mission. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to build the church because he'd have been dead that, the next day or whenever. So, I mean, there are these absolute extreme uh, exceptions in these cases, wouldn't you agree? Yes, well, I think what, what these, these, um, these more complex cases make me feel is made me feel rather ashamed not to be more advanced and quite inspired to to become more advanced because at the end of the day we can't be absolutely sure that we're doing um, the right thing in some of these situations unless we have that you know very uh, profound intuitive ability um, that the master was talking about up until then we can make our best guess um, but really, I think the moral of the story is to get these things really right, beyond any doubt, you should be working with all your might to become a master. Yes, and that is the simplicity of it, if you like. And of course, as we know, enlightenment is simplicity in its height. And I, one thing it makes me feel, Mark, is very grateful. Because mm. really, if you are a spiritual worker, if you are engaged, as we're privileged to do, and I don't just mean people doing things like Operation Space Part 2, by the way, <coughs> excuse me, I mean people practicing the 12 blessings very regularly, people really sending out a lot of energy through mantra or in different ways for world peace, not just through the Ethereum Society, but I don't mean just going and praying once a week I mean really engaged in spiritual activity and enlightening activity and service it's much simpler because they clearly have something more important to do they don't have that fairly complex decision to make because they're doing the thing that will actually bring an end to war because war does not bring an end to war that we've learned yeah, I have just, uh, my eyes just glanced upon a quote to that effect, the Master saying, uh, killing brings more killing. To stop killing, to stop war, we have to stop killing. There is no other way to stop a war. There isn't one, only to stop killing. And it's so simple, it's almost laughable, but people don't do it. True, and of course one point that people, especially historians and certainly politicians, will always try to do is come up with this concept of a just war. I mean, you've even got it within Mm. religions. And it's strange to see, I mean, at one time you might say the one religion that never went to war was Buddhism, but now you have Buddhist fighters uh, in certain parts of the world as well, which is very, very odd indeed. And you certainly have it in Christianity, and you have it in other major world religions, and they'll justify the wars. Now, there are some wars that are more justifiable than other wars, let's put it that way. I mean, some of these wars have saved people from genocide and so on. Uh, But as you say, it's not an end to all war. But uh, there are others which there is absolutely no justification for whatsoever. It's just purely an invasion uh, to for aggrandizement, to, to in, you know, gain money, to gain land, territory, power, and so on. Um, these are, again, I think if you're a spiritual worker, you don't have those complex decisions to make because 
you have the answer. But what, what do you think to that, Mark? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can sort of say that maybe one thing is slightly worse than another and all that, but at the end of the day, it's all wrong. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the only sane and sensible way to live uh, is a life that is devoted to spiritual work. That's what human beings are meant to do. Um, there's, there's no, it's not like, it's not just that it's a choice that some people can be spiritual and some people aren't and the ones that aren't can get away with things that the ones who are spiritual shouldn't be doing. It's not like that. It's everyone on earth in their own different ways and even in different religions and traditions, everyone on earth should be dedicated to, to spiritual work. And then as you say, life becomes much, much simpler because you don't have these questions. Um, and there's no doubt that the master is not um, advocating that we just, you know, somebody attacks us and we just sort of sit frightened and, and just do nothing. Um, he's advocating that we um, become extremely active um, in, in terms of our spiritual work, more active than ever before, and even be prepared to, to die um, for peace. I've got a quote to that effect here. Um, he, he's talking about, it's quite a fascinating idea actually, he's saying it amazes him that people are willing to, to do so much, work so hard and suffer so much for war, but they won't even be bothered to drive for half an hour to attend a peace rally. Um, and he makes this uh, point Peace in this world is something which does not just happen. It's brought on by the few. It's kept peaceful, or conditions are kept peaceful by the few, not, I'm afraid, the majority. And then later on, um, he says, if we want to preserve peace in this or any other country, we must be prepared to work for it. No, we must be prepared to die for it. So this is an extremely active uh, thing and it, this actually this comes up over and over again so I won't keep keep repeating similar quotes but there's there's one here that not only expresses that in a slightly different way but also adds in something which I'm still scratching my head over a bit and maybe you can elaborate on Richard so this is from an address in 1978 and he says, um, the, uh, the master says, reminds me too of what the master Therius said many years ago when he was talking about pacifism. And he was saying that the man in the street, pacifism in a very, very active way, of course, in a very active way, not negative type of Buddhist pacifism, but a very active type of pacifism, was the way to go under almost all conditions. And he said something which is very interesting, both for the orthodox man and for the occultist. He said that if you did but realize it, one man can guarantee the defeat of an army, providing that man dies in the right way. And it is indeed true. As someone who has seen much action of various kinds in his life, I feel even now that that statement is far, far truer than many of us realized at first. That if a man is a good man, and just even a few minutes before his death, he is a very good man, and you can be, by having certain thoughts uppermost in your mind, by reciting certain mantras, such a man would indeed conquer an army. Well, that's, that's fascinating, and it brings up this... Uh, a real important aspect of war, actually, and uh, and of um, going and dying in general. I mean, the, the Buddhist Tibetan Book of the Dead is, uh, and the Egyptian Book of the Dead to some extent, but not to the same extent, I, don't, I would say. But certainly the Tibetan Book of the Dead is all about that, sort of getting your frame of mind right, uh, so that at the moment of your passing, you're in an elevated state which will determine the realm you, you are attracted to at that moment. Um, and that it's not just sort of someone sitting there judging, saying, well, you know, there is a judge. We are our own judge, ultimately. Um, but it's also an energy. It's a frequency. It's a vibrational thing. And on the dark side, of course... One of the reasons, and Dr. King made this point over and over again, one of the reasons for the wars on this plane is a recruitment drive. 
because mm. they know that even formerly pretty decent people, uh, ordinary people, I'm not saying great spiritual workers or anything like that, but people who basically were living an ordinary life, doing no harm to anybody, looking after their family, they get recruited into war, they sign up or they, they have to, they're enlisted, however it goes, and then they become somebody else, uh, particularly yeah. during the actual battle, because you, you aren't going to fight very successfully unless you have either anger, hate, um, a killing instinct or something like that in you. And then if you get killed in that moment, you are, by the same principle, drawn to the lower astral realms. And so they recruit people who, had there not been a war, might have been, you know, I don't know, going to a pretty ordinary level, maybe level two, who knows, but suddenly mm. become something else and they're recruited down into the lower astral realms. And some of these wars are deliberately created by them for that purpose they want more troops down there basically absolutely i think that is the great the greatest tragedy of war actually it, it's tragic when the you know someone is killed yes but it's even more tragic when someone turns to evil basically and as you yeah. say war is an absolute breeding ground and people who in ordinary life would be rather probably rather dull people but quite nice people are suddenly murderers and god knows what else and it, 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 yeah, it it's, it's 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 absolutely that actually i know we've got our our break in a moment but maybe after the break we can move on to the master of theorist who talks about the dark forces and their role in in war uh, in connection with with that indeed and we've got far far more to say but uh, we're going to be in serious trouble if we don't go to our producer now because she's waiting to give the announcements over to you nikki oh this is so fascinating i love it it's, it's, uh, the message is certainly loud and clear so thank you uh, richard and mark and looking forward to the rest of the show you are listening to A Theorist Radio Live with host Richard Lawrence and his guest, Mark Bennett, and they are covering on today's show a very topical subject which affects us all, an anti-war special. Right, so here we go. Wednesday, November the 23rd, sees our annual pilgrimage to the Holy Mountain, Brown William Cornwall, UK, which was charged on that date in 1958, during which Dr. George King received the Lord's Declaration delivered by a Lord of Karma. So for more details of this, uh, you could read it in the publication Holy Mountains of the World, but also... For details of the pilgrimage and further advice, please email, and it's pilgrimage, that's singular, pilgrimage at uk. Sadly for us, 12 midnight GMT, December the 10th, sees the exit from our world of the shining temple we know as satellite number three, having flooded our world with much needed spiritual energy since November the 4th. You are warmly invited to join us for this special service to mark the last hour of this final spiritual push for 2022, which will be live-streamed from the Ethereum Temple in Los Angeles. For details of times local to your area, please visit ethereus.org. And as always, you're always warmly welcome to join us for all our services, both live stream and online, which will continue to be held as usual. The next Ethereus Radio Live on December 20th will be prove to be yet another intriguing show. Although regrettably neither Richard nor Chrissy will be available, Mark will ably host next month's show, and his guest will be Julian Rosser, who has appeared on a Theories Radio Live before. And wait for it, the title of that show will be How to Escape the Matrix. So that's it for now, and I'm very pleased to hand you back to Richard and Mark. Thank you very much, Nikki. And before we go to those extracts that Mark's got there waiting for us uh, from the Master Ethereus, and it'd be great, always great to get to the Master Ethereus. We are Ethereus Radio Live, after all. Um, may I just say that uh, the show after the one you've mentioned is relevant to what we're talking about now because it's uh, uh, about the spiritual energy crisis. That'll be the January show, which um, Chrissy Blaze will be back 
and she'll be joined by Alison Lawrence, my wife, talking about how that works in general, and it certainly is one of the main forces uh, to bring about world peace, if, if not the main one. There's another one which I'll go into. But so often, Mark, in, when people talk about pacifism, they do it in the context of... Um, the idea of peace, they do it from a philosophical perspective, they talk about it as an idea and so on, and that's all good. But when you get to spiritual energy or the radiation of spiritual energy through prayer, through mantra and all the other ways, and through service, you're going to a more, even more potent level than just ideas. The ideas are, are necessary, but energy has a direct impact and starts to change the vibration of those people involved in making these decisions to go to war. And therefore, it's the most powerful weapon, except possibly one, which is karma. That's something that can get passed over, which, of course, the more effort ordinary people make. I know that Dr. King attributed the end of the uh, Vietnamese war, I believe, to the, the prayers of people and the efforts of people. And also the karmic intervention has got to be part of that. And it's vital and has enabled... I'll give you one, actually, an example, which was uh, took place, in fact, almost to the day... I've got, I'm working out on 60 years ago. Yeah, that was the Cuban Missile Crisis, something which has been warned about, certainly by the President of America, that we could be facing a similar thing again in this Ukraine war. And that was actually stopped by some intelligences who were on Earth that regular listeners all know about, the three adepts, in a power manipulation. But it was also stated that the efforts of ordinary people praying allowed that intervention and it's the same principle right now we have missions such as i mentioned operation space power 2 but the efforts that everybody makes is the karmic the essential karmic ingredient for those interventions to really work and for that energy to bring a real result so it is spiritual energy output absolutely it is but it's also karmic manipulation mark yeah well said richard i think that's the that's the real problem i mean that's why i didn't you know i i kind of had a a taste for pacifism a bit before i discovered the ethereal society but it does leave for most people it does leave this massive question well if you don't fight then what do you do yeah. you just do nothing and, and unfortunately, most people on earth don't have the answer to that, and, and, and we do, which is that spiritual energy is a real thing that everyone can invoke and send out, raise consciousness, and then problems like war will, will, will disappear. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you were going to go on to some of the Master Theorist's comments about lower astral uh, beings and it, it, it reminds me because we were talking there about the attempt by dark forces and unfortunately quite successful attempt to recruit to their forces in the lower astral realms through wars on this level and bringing them mm. about and I think back to that historic transmission by Mars set six fight ye the evil which is a change mm. from the turn the other cheek approach actually and, and a deliberate change and a knowing change I think he possibly even refers to that um, because now the spiritual aspirant is no longer asked just to turn the other cheek. They are not asked to physically fight and, and, and so on either, but they are asked to fight through spiritual means, such as the sending out of, of, of spiritual energy, such as the visualization of the violet flame, uh, such as the speaking of truth, which has a karmic power in itself. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. These are the answers, and people just need to, to, to act. And if enough people do act, uh, then um, war will, will die out on Earth. Now, would you kindly share with us those extracts you, you tempted us with before the break? <laughs> yes, certainly. Um, so this is from Appeal to World Citizens, given in 1958. And the Master of Sirius says, uh, this is referring to the evil forces in the lower astral realms. He says, their magic has been specially designed throughout the centuries to make powerful castles for themselves. They have done this. Now they manipulate governments, whole countries, 
And these countries obey like so many puppets at the bottom of the strings in a marionette show. This dark group will be taken from the centre of your earth. But, dear friends, please, please do not let their evil schemes bear fruit before they are taken from it. By that I mean that the great conspirators are in your midst. They have been there for centuries. You have danced to their tune. The whole propaganda organization throughout all Earth which produces either an uneasy peace or a war or a cold war or fear or famine is the tool used by these dark few among you. They're very powerful for they manipulate the monetary wealth of terror. This gives them almost unlimited power upon the surface of terror. Terror being Earth, of course. Yes. And, yes, yes. and our master sort of echoes that with, with an idea here that, is, um, uh, that is, is quite common now. I think probably much more common than when he, he was talking in the 50s and 60s. And he says, um, freedom was never brought to the Earth through war. Wars have been caused by either big business interests uh, by either big banking interests or by sheer greed for power, no doubt. So they yeah, have the, the link between human weakness and, 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 well, also human weakness, but even worse human weakness on, on the lower astrals. And um, there's, in, uh, there's a transmission in 1962 by the Master of Theorists, um, in a, 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 a little Should we just of, uh, deal with this, this one sure. that you've mentioned first and then come sure. to the next one? Sure, sure, Because sure. I think that's a very important point. And we had a small example of this in Britain. It's small in global terms. Very recently, because we had a government that came into power for a matter of weeks, actually. I think it may be the shortest government ever in Britain, or the shortest uh, prime minister and uh, yeah, government at the top. Same political party, but a government. And this particular, it was earlier this year, they, they tried to put, bring in about a particular budget, a particular financial policy. And as soon as they did, the markets made it completely untenable. The financial markets made it untenable. Not just the UK financial market, the financial markets in general uh, gave up on, basically, on Britain briefly or raised the interest rate so high that this government actually couldn't continue. It fell very quickly. But one of the lessons they should have learned, which politicians never do seem to learn, is that they don't run the planet. They're, they're re relatively not very potent. Um, uh, in Britain, we have civil servants, and I'm sure you have, they have them in all countries by different names. And depending on the country, uh, they tend to be the government. It's the politicians come and go. But certainly, if it comes to a battle between politicians and vested monetary interests, you can see, and it's, there are a few examples in history of it. This is just a small recent one. It's always the markets, the monetary wealth, the people behind it, whoever's manipulating that. They are the ones who determine what policies they want, and they've got ways of doing it. And, and no politician of any type, be it democratic, be it communistic, can really overcome that. Yeah, well, that is uh, exactly what the master theorist uh, was saying in this um in this following transmission from 1962, he says, and again, this must remember, this must have sounded well. You would know better than me, Richard. Must have sounded much more controversial at, the t at that time in the 60s than it would to Absolutely. us now. And he says, do not ever trust any politician, whether communist or democratic, to preserve peace for you. The prayers, the servers, the workers in the true light, these are the preservers of peace upon terror. They are now, they always have been, they always will be. You, the right-thinking people, are the preservers of peace. You are the people who manipulate karma in such a way that intervention can be allowed. Well, it's interesting, you know, Mark, because... We didn't prepare exactly what each one of us was going to say, and I didn't know what extracts you had in mind, but I had one extract from the Master of Years written down and typed up right in front of me, and it's the exact one that you've just read. So <laughs> we're obviously completely on the same page. And you're right. Um, certainly, I even remember when uh, you were probably, I, don't, I suppose you've just about been born on this realm, um, doing a lot of UFO uh, talks and broadcasts and saying that, 
there's a government cover-up and governments are lying to you and so on. And that of itself was regarded as um, really out of order and also nutty. It was regarded as eccentric. And I'm not now talking about the UFO part of it. I'm talking about somebody going around saying that governments are lying to you, that there's a conspiracy, that uh, there's a cover-up. Uh, this of itself, even in the early 1980s and late 70s, was regarded as pretty eccentric um, and paranoid, I think, was a word that was often used. It isn't now. Everybody, I think, who knows anything really, in, in a free country anyway, knows that politicians lie and that they don't really trust any of them. So the master theorist in 1962 was way, do not ever trust any politician. That was not mm. said. And it's, it's very explicit. And you can see, we can see from recent years how absolutely true it is. You cannot get, you couldn't be a successful politician without lying. I think one could be pretty dogmatic about that. Certainly deceiving, certainly giving false impressions at the very least, if you're going to be a success. There may be absolute exceptions in history of people who've sort of sacrificed their career, gone into politics, haven't really got to the top of it, but have fought for, I don't know, the freedom of children in prisons or in mines or, you know, going back through history or the slave trade or whatever. But they're few and far between. On the whole, they are all liars to some degree and sometimes they believe it's justified and it, and it isn't of course because they're only representatives or meant to be of the people yeah I mean at the end of the day I think especially if you're in a very powerful position you'd have to be a very very strong spiritually minded person as a politician not to fall into the hands of the dark forces to some degree or another um, you'd, ha you'd have to know how to protect yourself. I think you'd have to be quite an advanced person to cope with it all. Um, and in that, uh, in that, that, that spirit, there's, um, there's just that I've found this paragraph from the Master of Theorists, which I think is just so... Don't so tell me it's another one I've got written down here, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, please go ahead. It probably is, because I think we've go got ahead. equally good taste. Um, <laughs> this begins with the dark forces are trying to cause division throughout the earth. No, go on, please. No, I haven't okay. got that one. Yeah. The dark forces are trying to cause division throughout the earth. They do not want to see higher educational standards adopted in any country throughout the earth. They want to see division, the world at the throat of the world, the world tearing the world to pieces. That is what they want to see. Why? Because while these conditions prevail, mankind is divided in his thought, is divided in his action, is brought almost to the level of the beasts in the field, especially during a war, by his inhumanity to his brother. Then do the dark ones thrive. Peace is death to them, because in peace the world is gradually brought into a degree of terrestrial unity and unity is strength the dark ones know too well that the next step after terrestrial unity must be a searching towards enlightenment this is double death to them, for they quake, I shiver, as though with the plague, when they see the great rays of enlightenment dawning through the soul of an individual who has thrown convention to the winds and has one desire, that of learning the great truths. This is a blow to them, even when one does it. It is a thousand blows when a thousand do it, and ten thousand blows to them when ten thousand do it. Yes, yeah, so that's a very memorable phrase. They, phrase, they quake in fear. And we tend to don't think about that, but they do. They can't stand the light and they are frightened stiff of it because, of course, it brings their demise as well and the end of their mm -hmm. power. And before you read another one, I'm going to get a little too pennyworth in, if I may, here with another quote from the same transmission because going from the dark forces and the, the negativity of those, here's something really positive that will be a transmuting force in that right in their face and it's this pray as you have never prayed before in your life nay in your lives serve as you never served before in your lives work in spiritual ways and all of them in the most steadfast way 
Do not let anything or anyone put you off. Do this as you've never done it before. Spread this gospel of action to all your friends, and if they will not go along with it, then leave them cold if you have to. Yes, walk out of their house if you have to. Work so that a t- tremendous store of energy can be built up in the great terrestrial batteries so that this energy can be used for peace. Mm, yeah, wonderful stuff. I mean, that's, it is that's the answer, isn't it? And I have to think there could be a double meaning because so often there is with the Master of Theorists in that last statement, work so that a tremendous store of energy can be built up in the great terrestrial batteries so that this energy can be used for peace. Yes, one could see that as a metaphorical statement of building up energy in batteries, but I think it could also be a specific reference, and we're going back to 1962 here, to the batteries which existed Uh, and were held in those days and through the centuries by the Great White Brotherhood where they actually Mm. stored energy, something that many, uh, over 10 years later, Dr. King introduced on this level, which we're doing in Operation Prayer Power uh, and which he did in Operation Sunbeam. So it could be that the efforts there of praying as you've never prayed before in your life, putting nothing before it, nobody and nothing before it, That is, of course, a very powerful karmic manipulation which might enable the Great White Brotherhood. I mean, I'm not suggesting that they would want to store the energy we send out, but it might enable them then, without contravening karmic law, they they have to be so careful about that, and they're trained to be careful about that, to put energy into their batteries which can then be used for world peace and enlightenment. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, this, this, this is it. It's, it's all about the, the practical way of solving problems. That's one thing I love about King Yoga. It's not about theory. It's not a, about, even about morality so much or, 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 or even, I mean, it is spiritual, but it's not a phrase that maybe we use um, as much as people might imagine that we would. It's about solving problems. It's about looking at what mm. the problem really is and not some wishful thinking. I mean, people must think we're wasting our times, but actually, our time. But actually, what we're doing is the most practical thing that anyone could possibly do of our level of evolution to help our our very troubled world at this time. You've reminded me there of um, an incident, an experience described by Dr. King's mother, and she said that she was taken in a spacecraft to actually meet the Lord Babaji. Uh, in the Himalayas, uh, Lord Babaji being the, the greatest master on earth, bar none, um, and to learn more about her son. So w- w- this would be, I don't know, I can't remember the year, could be 61, could be 62, very early on. And I do remember that uh, she was accompanied, as she had been before, by an aspect of Mars Sector 8, cosmic intelligence, on this trip. In fact, he took her. And one thing that was said to her by one of the two of them, the Lord Babaji and Mars Sector 8, but they were both telling her about her son, Dr. King, was that he was known, he came to Earth, and he was known as a someone who could solve very difficult problems. I'll never forget oh. that phrase, because it's, uh, I think, almost putting it mildly when you look at what actually <laughs> happened later, the alien mission, Operation Calm Light, and so oh, on. Yeah. But it's absolutely his... A very good description, really, uh, in just a few words of what he did. He, he identified the problems. He took it upon himself always to take responsibility for solving them. He didn't wait for anyone else. He didn't even wait for ascended masters uh, with no disrespect to them or even the Lord Babaji. He set out uh, to do it, go through the right channels and find ways of solving these problems. And that, even I think among avatars, is extremely unusual. To that extent, yes, anyway. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. And um, in the spirit of solving problems, I mean, here's a teaching which it, it's actually about capital punishment, uh, but it must equally apply to many situations in war. And it, it's quite short, quite simple. Uh, he says, it is a certain fact that killing promotes killing. 
It's a certain fact that when the state murders a murderer, that murderer is given greater power than ever before to go on with his nefarious schemes, whatever they may be. If he cannot murder physically, he will then use some pawn through which to continue his murdering. So, in other words, it's not just that it's wrong spiritually to kill people, it's that it makes everything worse. Yeah, again, you, it's, it's a problem-solving approach. This won't solve the problem. War won't solve the problem. Exactly. And on the other side of the coin, he gives this as, um, in, a, in a different, different um, uh, lecture or address, gives this as a solution. He says, Christianity can work. If America was a Christian country, she would be the greatest country in the world bar none. If Russia was a Christian country, she could stand as a guiding light to the whole world and she would not need one single weapon to do it. There is not one Christian country on earth today. And that's a problem. And I think even Winston Churchill, whatever one thinks about him and his effort, uh, he, he was explicit that really if we all followed the Ten Commandments, commandments we wouldn't need an army i think even he said something along those lines um but it's, it's interesting you know one thing again you were talking there you were quoting from the master theorists about not when one person turns to the light the dark forces can't they they loathe it they hate it mm. they're challenged by it they're frightened of it it's a demonstration they just can't live with and I, I remember a, a story about someone, and I'm not putting this, this person up as being one of the greatest figures in history or anything. I think he certainly was on the right track. I don't know how much because I haven't studied him in detail, but I just heard this one account from him. It's Sri Aurobindo. I think you've actually been to his ashram in India, Mark, I believe. I have, yes, yes. Yeah, and he said that when he went up the Himalayas, for the first time to enter Samadhi and he knew the cave that he had to go to in those days uh, the dark forces were literally hurling rocks at him to try to stop him getting there um, so you know that's and I thought at the time gosh did it matter to them that much and clearly assuming his account is correct it really did matter that much one person gaining uh, an elevated state. I'm not saying it was the same Samadic condition uh, that, say, Dr. King entered, but even an enlightened state, they they can't stand it and they try to stop it. And so that should be an encouragement. And um, I'm going to close with some words here um, from the from the master theorists, and then I'll certainly let you have your last words, Mark, after I've done it, because I think it is very inspiring. And it'll be if if we all did this, it would be a blow what the dark forces are trying to do in their instigations of war, their recruitment through war and the energy that they love to receive during wars and from wars on this level and this is the, from the same transmission that Mark was quoted from December 1962 and so just a couple of sentences, they go like this, the Master Ethereus you know, each of you has a great peace weapon within your heart it is dormant but it is there. It is a spiritual light. It is a light which can, cannot only cut through the darkness, but in a more metaphysical way can help to condition the karma of Earth, help to draw a different terrestrial history in the Akashic records of Earth so that a different karma may result from this alteration. It's that big. It, that, it, that's my word. It's that big. It's a, an anti-war manifesto, I feel there, Mark. Absolutely, yeah. I think, um, just to close, um, I'd like to just give one line from um, the transmission Nonviolence by um, Mars Sector 6. And it's a very simple one, but it absolutely just sums it all up. Know this, that it is the non-violent action which will win the day. Well, I have to jump in there and say that I wrote one line down in my notes from nonviolence, and it was the line you've just read Mark so we're back on the same page and wonderful words to end with and thank you so much for being my guest here on Ethereus Radio Live and next month you're the host of this, uh, of this very uh, important radio broadcast and that brings us back to our producer with the closing announcements, Nikki 
Well, thank you so very much, Richard and Mark. There was so much food for thought. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you both so much. As already mentioned, Mark will host next month's show on December 20th. And his guest will be Julian Rother, and they will be talking about how to escape the matrix. And also, please remember, we've got uh, for details of the pilgrimage to Brown Willie to in Cornwall on Wednesday, November 23rd. Please email pilgrimage at ethereum.co.uk. 12 midnight GMTV, December the 10th. These are the last hour of the fourth and final spiritual push. So, as always, you are warmly invited to join with a live streamed special service to mark this last hour from the Ethereum Temple in Los Angeles. And if you would like to find out more facts uh, mentioned in the show and other publications, please visit Ethereus.org. And just a, one little um, bit of uh, information I know you'll all want to know is that you can connect with your host, Richard, through his website, richardlawrence.co.uk. You can also, uh, with Chrissy through her website, astrologycity.com. And you can also connect with Mark through his website, markinfo.co.uk. So with all of that, I, we really hope you enjoyed the show. And thank you so much for listening. And we look forward very much to your company next month.